I just spent the last five minutes talking about my IPEX. And Honda clocked me for not going to sleep early later. <laughs> when will you ever sleep early? Welcome to Hidden Among Us. I'm your host, Chris. And this is Honda. And welcome to episode 57. Anyway, Honda, how how have you been? <laughs> I couldn't I can't like even tell. Like I can't even feel I didn't even feel like the time passed this week. It's so fast. It's already the weekend. Actually, right. I feel like Thursday till today felt like a blur to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just like, I, like the days are like blurring into each other. I don't have like a distinct memory of each day. Oh my God. <laughs> you're right, old. you're right though. I The only day I, I remember somewhat vividly is Wednesday and that's because I work on Wednesdays. But other yeah. than that, it just... I mean, I worked on Wednesday this week too. Yeah, but I, don't, I think that is the only day that is that breaks our routine. And we don't even have a set routine yet. But yeah, I understand what you mean. I guess because it's online school, so like every day you're just at home and then you go to school on your like laptop. Mm. So you don't really remember each distinct day because it's just like so so similar unless you actually go out and do something different. I mean, yeah, I mean, you're right. And speaking of going out, I just bought new clothes. And new shoes, and I've got nowhere to wear them out to. Just make like, plans. I know, but it's like Just make plans. I feel like I am so busy that it's hard to make plans with anyone. Like, for example, in a week, right? If I am not doing school stuff, I'm working, right? Mm-hmm. So because of that, that is I, I just feel like there's no point in going out. Nobody else's like schedules will be able to like match with mine. You feel that now, and once we actually graduate from school and actually start working, no one's ever gonna see Chris ever again. <laughs> they'll be like, Where is Chris? Then they'll be like, Who is Chris? <laughs> Just Hopefully. make plans, okay? Even if it's like late at night or early in the morning, you should just make plans. Okay, but speaking of the future, I do hope that our our weekly um Netflix party of like watching RuPaul's Drag Race continues. <laughs> like, imagine what, when we are super old, like in our like I don't know seventies, and we are still like every Friday tuning in to watch RuPaul's Drag Race. <laughs> that would be so funny. It really but, would, though. Do you think by that time, we might genuinely be so, I guess, out of touch with the new slang of that <laughs> of that time? Yes, we'll be the boomer of like of that time, like the future. Yeah, we'd be like boomers watching RuPaul's Drag Race and attempting to, you know. Um, connect with whatever they're saying. <laughs> like, I feel like if we showed old 
old people, like the stuff, I mean, the slang used in Drag Race that we, they'd be so confused. So do you think that would be us? I think that would be us. So it'll be quite interesting. I mean, there'll be probably like another version of TikTok or something. Yeah. And, and I would be thinking, so confused. Yeah, I'm also thinking about like, currently, we know how to work our electronics, right? But in the future, do you think we'd ever reach a point where we'd be like, oh, this phone is too advanced. I need like a younger person to teach me how to use it. Or like, it's so scary. I don't want this to ever be like that. <laughs> I know, but it's. I feel like it's an inevitable reality though. I mean, because like old people didn't have like the technology that we have now, I guess it'll be harder for them to adapt. And some of them don't even want to adapt. So like the stubbornness yeah, is there. But I feel like that is Will there be something so different in like our lifetime? You know, I I think so. And I feel like it's so scary. It's not one and of the Everything things... feels so advanced already. <laughs> yeah, I know, but it's it, I, I think what I mean to say is like in the future, I think there will come a point where we realize that we don't want to know how to use such advanced <laughs> tech because we don't need to know. Like there is no point in knowing, you know? I mean, it's like how <laughs> right now, um, things like, oh, you know how the iPhone, you can do like shortcuts and customize your home screen. Mm-hmm. These kind of things are like kind of advanced and stuff. But as older people, you don't want to do it because it's not necessary. Or and like having high tech. Fine. Yeah, or like having high, higher quality cameras in your phones. As mm-hmm. an older person, it's not going to be like, you're not going to need it. I mean, I just hope that when we are old people, that you know, that society in the future wouldn't treat us as like garbage, or like like automatically uh, label us as like senile. Because uh, at least at least in Singapore, like we have a lot of we give a lot of help mm. for old people to adapt to technology because they need smartphones to do the trace together thing. Mm-hmm. So a lot of help is given and a lot of patience also, but. When we, uh, when it's our turn, hopefully we also have the same kind of kindness that you know that people yeah. will also have be kind to us as well, and not be like, oh, what a waste of space, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. a waste of taxes. <laughs> not the taxes, <laughs> but yeah. Also, I also hope that our own. Like, I guess children, grandchildren would want to patiently explain to us things we don't know. We're in an aging society, so there are going to be more of us than more of the young kids. So we are going to be a burden, economically a burden to the young kids in the future. That's true. That's very true. So we also can't be be laid back elderly people. Because that's true. That's the thing. We can't be laid back elderly people like what we see yeah. with some elderly now. We can't we can't afford to do that. Actually, you're right. And I mean, like what you said, and going back to what I was saying about how we in the future we might not be bothered to learn something because we don't see it as necessary. But 
I guess if you're talking about... <laughs> yeah, I guess you're talking about how we can't be laid back. Yeah, yeah. Once we be laid back, I think we'll be literally treated as trash. <laughs> yeah, like society will go on without us and mm-hmm. as older people will be grappling to keep up. So scary, scary. Dang. Sociology people. What? Write a thesis <laughs> on this conversation. Dang. Yeah, Honda. If you ever think of doing an essay, you can just listen back to this episode and be like, wow. Big brain moment. <laughs> Do I have a mod that's related to this? Not really. <laughs> My brother is taking some mod on like ageism, aging society. I don't know, something to do with older people. <laughs> I have no idea. But he likes to like send me the mod's name and tell me that it's about me. So and he's not that you guys aren't even a year apart so by the way fun fact if siblings are born 11 months I mean not 11 months if they are born less than a year apart they are called Irish twins oh okay I've heard of Irish twins before but I didn't actually like bother to look up one okay well um, I am your walking <laughs> Wikipedia now so yes <laughs> if you're, if you're, so what's the history of the term Irish twins so the history of the term Irish twins uh, <laughs> I don't know <laughs> Wikipedia <laughs> internet unstable crash crash arrow 404 not found <laughs> yeah so my Brother and I are technically Irish twins, I guess. I guess you can use that as a self-intro. <laughs> oh, yeah. Hi. <laughs> My name- do you know, when, when people ask you for fun facts about yourself, what do you say? You know how some intros, it's like, oh, introduce yourself and say something that's interesting about you. I hate those type of questions. I have nothing interesting about me. Yeah, I'm just like... um. You can use the Irish twin thing now. You're right. And people are like, what the hell is an Irish Usually twin? my fun fact is um, I'm left-handed. Love. Yeah, because <laughs> you're so rare. <laughs> it's not that rare. <laughs> we are we're quite rare. You have a whole day for us. But yeah, I mean, there's still quite, like, at least, like, significant people, like, famous people who are left-handed. So it's not to the point where, like, you're not even seen. Decent long is left-handed. <laughs> um, I, w- I might get into um, how left-handed people are unseen by society one day. Uh, yeah, but in terms of like, <laughs> products, sure. Yes. Mm, you stole my argument. Yeah, but yeah, usually my fun fact is, yeah, I'm left-handed. And that's it. It's so tame. You should say the Irish twin thing. That's more interesting. Today's case is something I don't think we've covered. Yeah, we haven't covered something like this before. Interesting. I'm excited. Yeah, so this incident took place on January 29, 1979 at a public elementary school in San Diego, California. In the word school is already giving you ideas. I have a few (laughs) ideas. I have a few ideas. Does this story involve a white van? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> so the incident is known as the Grover Cleveland Elementary School shooting. Hmm. Okay, well, this was not what I was thinking about. <laughs> yeah, so in this incident, the principal, a custo- custodian, were killed. 
mm-hmm. and eight children and put and a police officer Robert Rob were injured. Yeah, so I mean, the most interesting part of this case was how the shooting took place. Okay. Because, you know, for school shootings, we would have, like, you would imagine it a certain way, right? When, yeah. Like, how a school shooter would just enter the school and start mm. shooting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but this is... Yeah, yeah. Sorry, from what I know, most of these school shooters tend to also be students themselves. Like, they have access to enter school grounds. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Disregard what I said. Okay, carry on. Yeah, but yeah, this is different from what we imagine a school shooting. Mm-hmm. All right. I'm excited. So the shooter is 16 year old Brenda Ann Spencer, born on April 3rd, 1962. She was a freckle faced girl and had long red hair and wore big green glasses. Wait. I might have recently watched a video about her. Oh. Nice. Okay, but it's been a recently is more like I can't remember anything because I was like binge watching this one channel. Yeah, but <laughs> nice. Okay, all right. I I'm excited to hear your rendition. So after her parents divorced, she lived with her father in a one-story suburban home, but she lived in poverty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and her home was located across from the elementary school where the shooting took place. Yeah, so she and her father slept on a single mattress, like single mattresses in a living room floor, and the house was a mess and it was filled with empty bottles of alcohol. So her, her father was an alcoholic? Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, she actually had a talent for photography and even won first prize in a humane society competition. But then uh, she she was known to be uninterested in school. She attended Patrick Henry High School and her teacher will recall having to frequently call on her to wake her up. Okay. Yeah, so her classmates describe her as pretty crummy looking and alone since she would mostly keep to herself. Okay. Yeah, and she didn't really go to school much and as a result, she had bad grades. Yeah, so in early 1978, um, she uh, she had been referred to a facility for problem students because of her truancy. And after like the facility examined uh, Spencer, the staff informed her parents that she was highly depressed and suicidal mm-hmm. and insisting that she should be admitted to a mental hospital. But her father refused to give permission. Yeah. So over the next six months, her behavior only got worse. And like the reasons are not known, but she like had a great hatred for authority figures. And she would express hostility towards the police. And she even said that she would love to blow a police officer's head off. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. And, and yeah, she's how old when she says this? 16. Dang. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And she even talked about like doing something big. 
to the point of like appearing on TV. Okay. Hmm. Yeah, so in that summer, uh, Spencer was like known to like hunt, she hunted birds in the neighborhood mm-hmm. and was even arrested for shooting out the windows of Grover Cleveland Elementary School with a BB gun. And was also arrested for burglary. By the way, like BB guns actually can do a lot of damage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's crazy. Especially if you shoot in the wrong areas, it's really a lot of damage. Yeah. Also, like, I don't know if it's just me, but in my head, like BB guns like come across as sort of like a toy gun. Uh-huh. Like people don't perceive it to be dangerous at all. So, like, you know, it's not to the level of an actual gun. So yeah, yeah I guess guns. it doesn't have the actual power or velocity yeah. of the actual gun. But they, dude, people have been blinded by yeah, yeah, guns. Yeah. They can do serious damage. Yeah, so in September, a psychiatric evaluation arranged by her probation officer recommended that Spencer be admitted to a mental hospital for depression, but her father refused to give permission again. And here is where we can nominate her father for her father of the year. For Christmas of 1978, he gave her a Ruger 1022 semi-automatic 0. .22 caliber rifle with a telescopic sight and 500 rounds of ammunition. I have I wish. no idea what that is. <laughs> Up a rifle a- with a telescope and 500 rounds I know of but it's just like it's so interesting <laughs> because growing up in a country where guns are outlawed and the only time you ever see guns is on TV when it's like a show mm-hmm. so people are just like oh it's like a point thirty two pistol with I don't know I'm just like oh god <laughs> to me it's just the generic black colour gun you see on TV <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. You say a shotgun, um, I know the generic one from TV. You say a sniper, I know the generic one from TV. Revolver? Generic one from TV. I know there are different types of each, but I just know the generic image of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think they all look the same. I didn't like a rifle or a revolver with at least have the same kind of mechanics. Just the look might be different. Like the colour or whatever. Yeah, but see, once again, we don't know. <laughs> like, I know they're specific. So her her one her gun is obviously very specific, but because we have no knowledge of these things, we're not exposed to it on the daily. Just picture a long, long gun. Yeah, just a long gun with like a telescope. With the, the yeah. telescope. <laughs> Why would you give that to a 16 year old? I don't know. I know. I think it's kind of strange. <laughs> but it's also, I wouldn't say something that is like rarely done. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Like, I know, for example, maybe farmers sort of give their teenage kids guns particularly because you know you want to keep animals off the farm and stuff like that Mm -hmm. or sometimes it's like a family heirloom but once again like why gifting a gun to a child 
I don't think there's mm. any situation where doing it is really justified. Yeah. Unless you're really like properly teaching yeah, the dangers and like, to actually respect the use of a gun. Like maybe like for example, you're you're a farmer living somewhere where you know there's real threat of I guess animal attacks or whatever. And so you need to teach your kids how to, you know, de- defend themselves in that kind of situation. Mm-hmm. Well, I forgot which country, but it reminded me of something I watched and how there's this country where, like, I think there's this day where they do carry guns and even young kids are carrying them. But, like, the murder rate by gun in that country is like negligible oh so it's really really interesting okay all right yeah okay mm. i still <laughs> okay, would not so, give a gun to a child but okay. yeah definitely yeah so back to the story so spencer like later said that i asked for a radio and he bought me a gun so like yeah they asked, like, you know, why maybe he would give, like, her a gun. So she answered, I felt like he wanted me to kill myself. So that's why he gave her a gun. Okay. But then, on the other hand, Brenda's parents and all three of her siblings stated that it was she who had backed her father for the rifle. Yeah, so 35 days later, on January 29, 1979, it was 7 a.m. Uh, Monday morning, and it was a normal school day. And Spencer barricaded herself in her home and she pointed that rifle towards the children lined up outside Grover Grover Cleveland Elementary School. And these children were lining up to like, they're they're waiting for the principal Mm -hmm. to open the gate. So this was before the school day? Yeah, before the school gate opened. So there were kids, you know, waiting for the Mm -hmm. kids to open. Yeah, so when school principal, 53-year-old, Burton uh, Rag and uh, sixth grade teacher Daryl Barnes were in the front office sipping on the morning coffee. Then they heard what sounded like fireworks. So they quickly ran outside, discovered that the sound was not fireworks, but it was the sound of like guns, uh, a shooting gun. Mm-hmm. And then they also heard crying children. Oh, shit. Yeah. She injured eight children as a result, and she shot and killed the principal in the chest who was trying to help the children. <gasps> oh, God. Yeah. And she also killed the custodian, Mike Suchar, 56 years old, as he tried to pull a student to safety. <sighs> yeah. So Barnes, the sixth grade school teacher, grabbed as many children as he could and ushered them inside the school. He then screamed for the secretary to phone the police before actually running back outside to pull more children to safety. And yeah, and Spencer tried to aim at him, but fortunately he survived the attack without injury. Oh, thank goodness. Yeah. So the first police officer on scene is Robert Robb, age 28. He responded to a call for assistance uh, during the incident and he was wounded in the neck when he arrived. Oh, gosh. Okay. Yeah. But he survived the ordeal. 
Thackeray. Mm. He's also 28. It's really quite young. It's really young. But the neck though. <laughs> yeah, the neck. How? It, I, I feel like it's a miracle. I guess first responders came, like the help came very fast after him. Do you know like those incidents where people get stabbed or they get shot and like the bullet just narrowly misses? Mm-hmm. Like a like a major artery or something like those are actual miracles. Very lucky. Yeah. Yeah. So after firing thirty times, Spencer barricaded herself inside her home for several hours. And while she was in the home, she's she spoke to a reporter from the San Diego Union Tribune, and this reporter had been randomly calling telephone numbers in the neighborhood. I guess she was trying to find, she used the phone book oh, and yeah. tried to call the person who was opposite the school. Can you believe phone books were a thing? That's so dangerous. <laughs> I know, but they were a thing. Yeah. And Spencer told the reporter she shot at school children and adults because, and I quote, I don't like Mondays. This, li- this leavens up my day. Oh my god, okay. Some of us deal with it with like yoga girl. And she also told the journalist she had specifically shot children wearing down jackets because she loved to see the feathers fly. <gasps> oh my god, this girl is 16. I know. <laughs> oh my god, okay. Yeah. So after shooting Officer Rob, Brenda happily, like Spencer happily exclaimed, I shot a pig. And then she hung up the phone to shoot someone. Oh God, okay. Yeah. The shooting lasted 20 minutes and it only ended because of uh, a smart thinking police officer named Ted Kazanek who, um, he commanded a garbage truck to be parked in front of Brenda's home. Mm-hmm. So it acted as a barrier between her and the school. Yeah. In total, there were 36 shots that were fired. Two men were killed, eight children, and one police officer were murdered. Mm. Yeah, so, you know, once her, she had no more targets, she barricaded herself and then engaged in a standoff with the police and SWAT team. And this standoff lasted six hours. And this only ended because she was promised a meal at Burger King. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so as officers escorted Spencer from her home, they found several beer cans and whiskey bottles strewn about in a single mattress on the living room floor. Yeah. So Spencer was charged as an adult due to the nature of the crime and she pleaded guilty to two counts of murder and assault with a deadly weapon. Okay. And then on April 4th, 1980, a day after her 18th birthday, she was sentenced to 25 years to life. Yeah. She wasn't sent to juvenile... They tried her as an adult. Oh, 
Is it because of state laws or something? It's quite interesting. It might be I because think, of state law, right? I don't know. It says due to the nature of the crime. So mm. I guess they didn't, they, they thought, yeah. I guess they, they really wanted to have the highest penalty for her. I know, but it's also kind of absurd. <laughs> yeah, and several of her classmates stated that she would often make up stories for attention. So she once claimed that she set a cat's tail on fire, but in reality, she is a big animal lover. And according to her family, she would never do such a thing. And she would also brag to her classmates about having gotten into a fight with a drug dealer whose head she split wide open. But none of these claims were ever proven. Also, um... How are you going to be an animal lover and do that? <laughs> I guess she just really wanted attention with like her family life. With yeah, like maybe. Because I don't know. Like, I feel like if you love animals, there's like... I don't know if I'm overgeneralizing, but people who love animals usually have a very deep sense of compassion and empathy. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> girl literally shot at kids like she wanted to see feathers fly yeah like like they were livestock (sighs) you know yeah and she claimed that the shooting was not premeditated and that it was a last minute decision but several of her schoolmates reported that on the Friday before the shooting uh, Spencer stated that she was going to do something big to get on television and was going to be famous yeah, there's and no way yeah. this is a spur of the moment killing. And I guess she got what she wanted. And she's famous because she was the first American female like school shooter. Wow. <laughs> I don't know. Is there any other... I can't think of any other female school shooters. I can't tell you. Like, I don't think there's anyone else. Yes. All I know is like like the the the, the boys. Yeah. The several boys who did it. <laughs> yeah. So in prison, uh, Spencer was diagnosed as an epileptic and received medication to treat her epilepsy and mm-hmm. depression. And while at the California Institution for Women in Chino, she worked repairing electronic equipment. Mm-hmm. So under the terms of her sentencing, she would be she became eligible for hearings to consider her suitability for parole in 1993. So when 1993 came, uh, Spencer claimed she had no memory of the shooting. <laughs> Seriously? Stating that she had a potentially lethal level of drugs in her system and was extremely intoxicated the day in question and could not recall the day's events. But then... The test showed no drugs or alcohol in her system. And the officers who took her into custody noted that she did not appear to be intoxicated. Did you see that interview? No, I didn't. The one where she gave where she does say these things. No. Like it's I, I saw it and it's very hard to believe her. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Like she's really fooling no yeah. one. And so, I mean, she's also said a lot of false things, so mm. it's very hard for them to trust her. 
Yeah. And I think she yeah. claimed that there are two medical certificates or something. And the one mm. that does state that she was intoxicated or whatnot, because she blamed drugs and alcohol, right? That one is missing and you have to find it or some shit. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, so she claimed that the drug test results have been falsified, both by the prosecution and her own attorney. To which both sides you know, quickly dismissed and said it was outrageous. <laughs> you know, the problem with this case is um, it's the fact that they caught her literally red-handed. <laughs> right? Yeah. The, it, it's like last week's case, you know? they can prosecute just based on the evidence they found at the moment because they know she mm-hmm. did it. So who mm, I guess her attorney at least could lessen charges based on her mental state or something. Yeah. Yeah. Or even like blame the dead for even providing the weapon mm. in the first place. Yeah. So, Yeah. So her attorney, however, did state that she was diagnosed with epilepsy while in prison, following in an abnormal brain wave that showed damage to her temporal lobe, and suggested her crime may have been due to her being in a dissociative state rather than being being under the influence of drugs and/or alcohol. Okay. I mean, damage to the frontal lobe has, like, there are studies that does show like a. Relation, yeah, especially with uh NFL players. Yes, there's a whole movie that's severely damaged. Yeah, yes. if anyone's interested, it's a movie called Concussion starring Will Smith. But um, I think it's also there have been several killers, like not even several, many mm-hmm. who have had um, like when they were children, have suffered from head injuries. And yeah. because of that, it affected their frontal lobe. And because of that, you know, that they, they don't have decision-making skills. Mm. Like, they don't have it because of the damage. Yeah, so... I guess yeah. that's what... So the, I feel like, like... I guess it complicates how you charge a person. Mm. Not to say they're completely innocent. I guess it's just to really think about how much that person could actually think of what they're doing, you know? yeah. Yeah, uh, and at least if you are bringing that into consideration in the future when there are like such incidents to like NFL players, who I know we at least can provide help to those kind of people who severe who had who suffers from like who who suffered from like brain in like accidents. Yeah, or something. yeah, yeah. You know, it's quite interesting because today, um, I watched an episode of Good Doctor, the American version. And there was this one case where this woman, she, she, she was in hospital for something and they found out she was pregnant. But her mm-hmm. husband, he basically goes, that's impossible because, you know, I've had a vasectomy. And it's it can't be a situation where, like, after 10 years of having a, of, like, having the procedure done, suddenly she gets pregnant. Like, there's there's just no way that this can happen. Then the episode very interestingly juggles between this idea of 
is this woman a liar? Mm-hmm. Or because the doctor later sees something in her, he sees her hand tremor. So he starts to believe that it's a medical thing. Right? So they do an MRI on her and her brain comes out fine. Right? So everybody mm-hmm. goes back to the same debate like, is this a medical thing or is she just a liar? Is she just trying to hide her affairs or mm-hmm. whatever? And then at the end of the episode, they find out that she actually has a tumor in her chest. And I don't know, some stuff in because of it is causing some other things to happen to her brain. So because of that, she is unable to make decisions. Mm. Right? And at the, end, at the end of the episode, her husband is faced with a dilemma. Um, must Should he forgive her? Because she had all these multiple affairs, but she had these affairs because of a medical condition. So should he forgive her for that? Mm. And... I thought it was kind of interesting because it also goes back to this situation mm-hmm. we're talking about where how much of it can we say is caused because of a medical condition? And if so, how do we reconcile it and how do we pardon it? Yeah, sorry. Because you can argue um, because of the damage the, to the frontal lobe, you know, it's it's out of the mm-hmm. person's hands, right? They They can't do these things because they have been affected this way, right? So, mm-hmm. it's quite interesting. And, I don't know, does anyone else have thoughts? Yeah, it also complicates how we should punish them. Like, what's Precisely. the suitable punishment? Precisely. Yeah. Because, how, how are you going to prove that this crime happened because of malicious intent or mm-hmm. this happened because of premeditation right yeah yeah so I guess it's like interesting to think about mm-hmm. I guess like you know the whole system I mean the whole system should change somehow because like, it's not like at least in the US it's the prison system is that doesn't look that effective <laughs> it's also very biased Mm, but I think in I, I'm not sure about Singapore's courts too but I don't know if they take into account things like this either I mean the defense could argue but I feel like uh, I feel like once a serious crime happens in Singapore it's like mostly open and shut <laughs> right yeah. it's like very clear what sentence they're gonna get so no matter how good your defense lawyer is I don't think it'll really help that much Hmm. And some people would say having like those kind of capital punishment would deter crime, but not really. I don't think so. It doesn't. It's crime still happens no matter the punishment. Yeah. So it is really something before that that's the issue. Yeah. And not not to have capital punishment for everything. <laughs> yeah. And what you said is absolutely correct. If capital punishment was a proper deterrent, then shouldn't crime rates be lower? But mm-hmm. it's not, you know? I don't know. I think that kind of thinking is like, it's a bit old already. Mm. And it's too too rational. Too rational, like, 
oh, strict punishment means people won't commit crime. Like, it's too simple, black and mm, white. Yeah. Yeah, no, humans I mean, have, like, various reasons to commit crime. Yeah, various reasons. There, there are a lot of situations where people feel, one, they might feel compelled to commit crime. Other mm-hmm. situations where people end up in situations where they are forced to do it or they don't see any other way out of a situation. What you just said is very sociological. <laughs> it's where there really is a theory. I forgot who. It's been a while since I took sociology of crime. But yeah, when people there is a theory where it says that when people feel like that there's no way out, that's when they commit crime. Yeah. I mean, once again, if if you look at the way prison prison systems are set up, it's interestingly uh, a very scheduled existence. You know, if you were to Uh be in prison, your life is scheduled for you. Granted, you don't have the freedom like people who are out of prison, (laughs) but it gives a sense of I guess, I wouldn't say comfort, but structure, particularly to those kind of people who feel like life is just out of control. They have nowhere else they can go mm-hmm. and have no other choice, you know? I mean, that's, I'm not trying to say that people want to go to prison, <laughs> but, you know, I guess sometimes, it's the only way out for some people. I don't know. I don't know why I'm going with this. You do you understand what I'm trying to say? Yeah, I mean, when they go back out of the real world, you know, they miss so much of the real world. They yeah. can't even properly function. Yeah. And then people around them will also not really reach out or help because <laughs> they were in prison. Yeah. So what was the most stable was prison. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this is the thing. Yeah. So in Spencer's 2001 hearing, uh, she claimed that her father had been subjecting her to beatings and sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. And she told the board that uh, my father almost raped me. Okay. And claimed that she was forced to sleep on the same mattress as her father and he would molest her, punch her in the face and ribs and calling her and call her demeaning names. Mm-hmm. But then when she recounted the allegations during a subsequent parole hearing, she stated that her father abused her from the ages of 7 to 14, mm-hmm. which is a different age from her original statement. Yeah, and uh, the father, of course, the allegations were not true. Mm. And the parole board chairman said that as she had not previously told any prison staff about the allegations, he doubted whether they were true. And the parole board um, repeatedly questioned why it took Brenda 30 years to report her father and the abuse but she stayed and but she clearly stated that during two separate parole hearings that she did not report the abuse earlier because she was afraid but then when the board attempted to initiate an investigation she changed the story claiming an investigation had already been conducted by the city of San Diego mm-hmm. 30 years prior <laughs> Okay. Yeah, so for like these kind of hearings, the details really matter. So as 
Especially when her claims are so shaky. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it didn't really help her case. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So for years, Brenda claimed that the damage to her temporal 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 lobe was from her bicycle accident in which she hit a pole head on. But then in two thousand five, um, she claimed her father was to blame, saying he had drunkenly kicked her in the head when she was fourteen, and that she was forced to make up the bicycle's bicycle story. I mean, yeah. So. Mm-hmm. The father is also kind of shady. So well, the father, Wallace Spencer, later married his daughter's former cellmate, a 17-year-old girl named Sheila McCoy, whom he met while visiting Spencer in prison. Okay, wait. When he married this, the girl, she was 17? Yeah. Then oh my god. The girl, Sheila looks her looks was eerily similar to Brenda Spencer. Oh and she was often mistaken for her. There's some incestual shit in this too. And then Wallace later impregnated Sheila. She divorced him shortly after giving birth. And oh. Wallace died in 2016 at the age of 87. Ew. Ugh. Disgusting! Holy shit! And he denied. Wonder though, like how much of her story is true? Yeah, that's why. Cause he, I don't think he. I don't know. He 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 definitely isn't like a role model father. Yeah, definitely not. Yeah, but he denied Brenda Spencer's claims until his very last breath. Yeah, so Brenda Spencer is currently incarcerated at the California Institution for Women in Chino and she has been denied parole four times. Oh god, okay. Her next parole hearing is scheduled for September of 2021. Next month. In a few weeks, actually. (laughs) True, don't remind me. Uh, (laughs) I guess maybe we will look up this case again for any updates and see if there are any changes so or maybe other claims that she comes up with. Do you think she'll get parole? Because I'm going to say no. I don't think. No, I don't think so. <laughs> also because she's never shown remorse for what she did? Don't think so. No. No, she's been giving excuses for her actions. But never really, you know, shown that she's apologetic. Unless she showed model behavior or something. But I don't think so. No, but... um. Even with model behavior, usually that comes hand in hand with showing remorse. A lot of times, parole hearings is successful because the judge sees that this person has like turned over a new leaf. If you keep yeah. arguing that it wasn't your fault, you blame alcohol and substance abuse, then it just shows mm-hmm. that you're not taking ownership of what you did, which is what she yeah. did. Law. Yeah. So the school in this incident closed in 1983 mm-hmm. because of declining enrollment. Like the area, a bunch of other schools also closed. Oh, and no. Yeah, so, and then on, uh, on January 17, 1989, almost 10 years after the events at San Diego's Grover Cleveland Elementary, there was another shooting 
at a school named Grover Cleveland Elementary. But this one's in Stockton, California. Oh, God. <laughs> but it's like exactly the same. Wow. And so in this shooting, five students were killed and three and 30 were injured. So one survivor of the 1979 one described herself as shocked, saddened and horrified because of the, you know, yearly mm-hmm. similarities yeah. between the 1979 one. Yeah. Quite creepy too. It's a cursed name. Anyone thinking <laughs> of opening up a school, just don't name it. The, the Grover, Cleveland, whatever school. Elementary. <laughs> Just don't. Yeah. So this is the story. Yeah, so. Yeah, so this is the story of Grover, Cleveland, elementary schools shooting. <laughs> Thanks, Honda. <laughs> I think it's just so sad because imagine dropping off a kid at school in the morning and being like, I'll see you later in the evening. And then you find out that <sighs> yeah. they got shot at. Yeah, so the kids are lucky to survive, seeing how she actually actively targeted them. So it's the only good thing to come out of it, I guess. Yeah. The kids survive. If you enjoyed this episode and want to support us, please rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts, leave us a review, and click that follow button on Spotify. You can also listen to us on Google Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Amazon, and whatever podcast platform you listen to. And you can follow us on Instagram at HGU Podcasts. Share us a message or send us a story if you'd like. You can also email us at hiddenamongus3 at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.